to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me today, as always, is Mr. Logan Stump. How's it going, everybody? Was that slower for you this time? Yeah, that, that <laughs> I was kind of taken aback. Um, my my response time was a little bit slower, but that was because you didn't speed through it like you had somewhere to be, like the next <laughs> interview. Or no, that was the that was the LA Galaxy thing, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the, that was the LA one. Lead yeah. ends the interview. So yeah, I'm glad you slowed that down for me. Um, coming off of a pretty long day at school, so that was that was nice of you to do. Yeah, you're welcome. Just figured, you know, it's Wednesday that we're recording this, so slow it down, get through hump day here. Um, I don't know when this one will be released. I guess Monday, right? Yeah, probably Monday. Oh man, I posted Friday. I thought you were gonna. No, the other one's Friday. Uh, that's the LA right. One. Well, then I lied. Oh well. Uh, but we do have some big news here before we interview. I guess we'll talk about the Cincinnati signing, and then we'll talk about the uh, the home openers after the interview. But. Uh, Cincinnati got their guy Luciano Acosta is coming to uh, back to MLS uh, snubbing DC United and going to FC Cincinnati who's been putting together a team and I guess this means no Pitti Martinez then since uh, you know they, they went with Acosta but uh, I like the signing I do think it is a good signing for Cincinnati and I'm interested to see how this team plays this year. Cause they really need to turn it around with uh, the way that they've, you know, played previously and signing Brenner and signing uh, Acosta, I think goes a long way towards that. And maybe it gets Frankie Amea uh, happy where he stays. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm looking, just looking at some of his numbers, and we talked about this pre-show. Uh, pretty impressive in those the, the span or that three-year span that he was with D.C. United. Um, I think 2018 was his most impressive, 10 goals, 15 assists. Somebody that can, you know, add, a, add an attacker to that side for Cincinnati. I know Cincinnati really struggled in that department and struggled all around. So anybody that they can add that is going to make this team better, um, at least more interesting watch for sure. Uh, I think that, you know, he struggled. It looks like he struggled a little bit as he went back uh, to, no, as he went 
to uh, Liga Max, but I, I think, you know, a move back to the MLS might be what he needs to kind of, he's only 26, it's, I think. So um, looking forward to see what he can add to Cincinnati and that'll be fun. Cause it seems like every time we get ready to talk about a team, it's something like this happens. So it's wonderful. Um, and we really appreciate these teams waiting until we're getting ready to do a preview on, on their team to, to make yeah, we have sense. the connections inside right. uh, MLS headquarters that lets us know is, right? what order to get these teams. Uh, so that way we have something to talk about. Uh, Nashville, you should be looking forward to some kind of signing. We're lining up that interview as we speak. So it should be a pretty interesting week for Nashville next week and the Rebs. So uh, yeah. just be out there on the lookout for any kind of players or any kind of news and rumors that probably come true. Yeah, so we will go ahead, like I said, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at the home openers that were just released. Uh, MLS released the home openers for each um, uh, for each club. Uh, so we will be able to go over those in depth. We're probably going to look at three uh, ones that we're highlighting for each week of the first two weeks, week one and week two. Uh, and maybe then we'll uh, also decide which one of those is going to be our match of the week that we preview for week number one. And as we get closer to that, uh, we'll, we'll give more information about how that segment's going to work, but I think that could be fun to maybe pick a few here. Like uh, maybe, like I said, if we pick three, maybe I pick one, you pick one and we kind of both land on another one for week one and then same for week two. Yeah, I'm okay. It's kind of, I wonder what the guys are doing over at LA is our house for the, uh, what was it? Beers and balls or balls and beers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess uh, they'll have to wait until uh, the whole thing. I don't down, know how they'll, yeah, maybe they'll start off with, with what they have. Right. But uh, yeah, who do we have with us uh, today, Logan? Yeah. So we are going to be previewing the Seattle Sounders, the 2021 season preview. We have Jackson Feltz. He is the host of Sounders Weekly and Sounders FC pregame and postgame. He also does some producing uh, for the 950 KJR in Seattle. So we're, we're excited to have him on and uh, preview some of these, you know, important positions that I think uh, need to be filled for the Sounders and uh, talk a little bit about the team. And we're going to talk some about Jordan Morris and, and kind of get an update on that and see what kind of impacts that'll have but I'm excited about this one this is again like you said Jordan um, and, and I know you've got a fascination of talking about the Cascadian teams um, th at least that region so that this will so be right down your alley because this one should be pretty exciting yes I am looking forward to this and uh, I guess let's go ahead and welcome him in can we have Jackson Feltz with us today host of Sounders Weekly and Sounders FC pre and post game shows on 950KJR in Seattle. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing good, guys. Logan, Jordan, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for uh, jumping on here. Um, if you wanted to just kind of tell the, you know, tell the listeners when you started covering the Sounders and uh, where they can find your work, um, I gave the radio station, but if you wanted to kind of go in depth with, you know, what shows you, you do for them and uh, Twitter handles or anything you wanted to plug there. 
Yeah, for sure. So I started officially covering the team uh, almost at the start of the 2015 season. Um, I was a fan here in Seattle many years before that, but uh, I worked for Sports Radio 950 KJR here. And uh, early in 2015, I went to my bosses and I said, you know, we have people covering the Seahawks and the Mariners and, you know, everything else. I want to cover the Sounders. And they, they went ahead and let me do it. So I started writing for the website at sportsradiokjr.com and doing all that good stuff. Um, apparently, it made a difference because. Because uh, at the start of the 2018 season, uh, our station landed the broadcasting rights to become the flagship of Sounders Soccer, uh, which is on KJR here in Seattle. So uh, starting in 2018, we uh, started doing Sounders Weekly every Tuesday on KJR. And in addition to that, as you mentioned, I am the pregame and postgame and halftime host uh, of the Sounders broadcasts. Um, so yeah, I've, I've kind of been the, the Sounders radio guy here, uh, you know, leading the charge for our station and, and trying to put out good content on our website. And then my Twitter, uh, at Jackson B Feltz, F-E-L-T-S on the last name, uh, that pretty much, uh, covers all of, all of the Sounders stuff. And I try to funnel everything I do through there and through our KJR website. That's awesome. Uh, I'm sure I've heard your pre and post game because I, you know, sometimes when they're broadcasted on like Sirius XM or finding yep. radio streams when I would be driving, trying to find a, a match to listen to. Um, so uh, it's awesome. Like I, I'm always kind of jealous of, I'm a union fan uh, over here. Uh, I'm in Maryland though. So I'm not really in any sort of like TV range or radio range for them, except for like, watching on ESPN plus, but I was always jealous of like, you know, how seriously I feel like the Pacific Northwest and some of these other cities take the the MLS games, you know, where you have radio pre and post game. Uh, There is some radio rights for the union, but I know at times they're not consistent, you know, with like how many games they broadcast and such. So I always really enjoyed, uh, you know, the Cascadian region for really diving in and, and being kind of that step that got us from like MLS 1.0 to MLS 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think that the, the rivalry and the soccer enthusiasm up here with, with us in Portland, obviously. And, you know, as much as I will jokingly say bad things about Portland, you know, I I can't, I can't discredit the uh, amazing soccer enthusiasm and, and just the culture that they have developed down there. It really is something else, Um, you know, right alongside what we have here at Lumen Field in Seattle, Vancouver as well. You know, um, you know, I I had the chance to, to go up a number of times and, and see, you know, Sounders games up there against the Whitecaps and, and just this, this Cascadian rivalry we have uh, with the Cascadia Cup and everything else. It's just a beautiful thing. And I know that the LA clubs with El Trafico have, have something else down there as well. And that's pretty good. And there's some other good rivalries, but nothing rivals what Seattle and Portland have in this league. And it's shown because we're always on national television when these two teams play. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was going to say you guys' fan base has caused literal earthquakes with, with how crazy uh, some of those Seahawks <laughs> fans are. You know, what's funny. I, in the show notes, I actually sent you, and you probably caught it. It said century link. Cause I was so used to it be, being called century link. I didn't realize that they had switched the name to Lumen field. Um, bar my mistake i guess but uh it had no idea to be honest with you 
it, it, it honestly it it was pretty quick here because they switched it overnight and it was just one day it was CenturyLink and nobody saw it coming and the next day it was Lumen and all of the you know signage in the stadium and on the sides everything changed just overnight wow. uh, and and it was kind of just a you know a bit of a shock like okay there goes but there was the company rebrand so I, I guess Lumen is the name now but. Um, or, or as some people jokingly call it, the Lou, uh, which is hilarious <laughs> in my opinion. I mean, people can snicker and laugh. I find it very funny, but uh, nonetheless, it's um, uh, it's it's an interesting. It was interesting how everything changed just in an instant. Yeah, so I got a question before we actually get into it. What's been your favorite part? I mean, as far as just hosting and, and doing all the things that you've done, what's your favorite Sounders memory? I know that's probably putting you on the spot there. Favorite Sounders memory uh, by far is is 2019 MLS Cup. Um, uh, that is a day, and, and thankfully my wife isn't listening right now, but that's probably one of the greatest days, if not the greatest day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And, and the best part about it, guys, was the fact that that game was so early. It kicked off at noon Pacific time. So I got yes. to the stadium. Yeah. I got to the stadium at about nine a.m., and and it was it was you know I had two helpings of breakfast at the wonderful <laughs> breakfast. I mean, I, you kind of settle in. You start you you go down to the field. You start to you know feel the enthusiasm. You go out to the, the various parking lots where people are are kind of getting ready for the game and barbecuing and and starting to party and everything. And there was a vibe around the stadium. It was just electric, and you know obviously the game happened and the first half was bad the second half was great and and uh, you know I, here I am Rui Diaz scores in the 90th minute or right as the clock hits 90 and and that made it three to nothing and I'm at that point I'm in the the press booth with a number of our broadcasters Steve Zakulani, Keith Costigan, Matt Johnson, uh, my co-host Danny Jackson, Wade Weber and Pete Fewin who do all my pre and post game shows with me who are all just absolutely fantastic and i'm just crying uh, you know it's three nothing we're we're about to win a championship in front of seventy thousand people at what was then CenturyLink, and i was just i was bawling my eyes out and and it was it was an amazing moment and you know we we did the uh, post game show was only supposed to be an hour we ended up doing about two and a half hours um, we went nice. over across the street to the the victory party where garth lagerway and brian schmetzer and adrian hanauer spoke peter tamazawa and and we just partied it up and and at that point i went and joined my my good friends at local bars for the next five hours i mean the the game was over and our post game show was over by uh, right about 5 p.m and at that point we had the next you know what was i think about seven eight hours just to party at different bars around seattle i think we went to about five different places <laughs> you know and, and, and indulged and it was just one of the most greatest you know i had my wife come down and it was just one of the most amazing days um even as i you talk about it it's just it's just goosebumps trying to trying to remember all the epic moments of that day. I'm so happy to still see, you know, Steve Zakawani as part of the team, um, you know, broadcasting and such, because he had such bad luck with, with that injury uh, that really, you know, he's still only 33 now. So that's, that's just crazy to think. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned, you know, being a fan before starting the cover of the team and such. And I was just wondering about the Seattle region as a whole, you know, that they were, uh, they had the Sounders in the USL uh, for a bit. Uh, they've been in other leagues as well, but in the USL up until 
you know, like 2008, right before they joined um, MLS and uh, wanted to know, like, were they popular? Not obviously to the heights they are now, but were they still like a pretty decently well-known place in, in like a team in Seattle? Because uh, I, I will say I've walked into like a, I think it was a McDonald's when I was in Seattle one time. I was there for like a, a day, like a day trip before uh, I did a cross-country road trip and we stopped in Seattle and I got to see like outside of Lumen Field. <laughs> but uh, there was uh, this like McDonald's by like the Space Needle and, and stuff like that. But there was like a, they had like Sounders memorabilia from those USL days, like a, a Sounders ball, an old Sounders jersey. So I just didn't know if they were really, uh, you know, super well known uh, back then as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of funny when you're so close to it, you you definitely are, are aware. And I think the the average Seattle sports fan probably knew him. I mean, listen, guys, the Sounders are a team that dates back to 1974. Right. This is a team here in Seattle that that people know about, whether they, you know, whether they just moved here in the last 10 years, they're for sure going to know about it. But I think if you have grown up in Seattle at any time since 1974, this is such a soccer, you know, enthusiastic region, you know, that where there's where there's a lot of suburban areas around Seattle where there's huge soccer leagues. You know, we think you think about a guy like DeAndre Yedlin who who made his way through the Sounders mm-hmm. and then over, of course, to to Europe and and with Newcastle and everything over there. And and he's a guy that started, I believe I'm saying this right, at Crossfire just over near Seattle. I mean, the the, the soccer passion around this city is huge. So I think I think just by that being the fact, people knew about the Sounders and the Sounders got really good support considering it was USL. So this is an organization that has kind of just, it's been kind of a slow burn and, and they've kind of jumped from league to league over, over the years. And there was the NWSL and, and, you know, it moved on up, of course, as you guys mentioned, and then now here in MLS, and it's just kind of it, people who, who knew the team and people who knew of them and, and followed them. I think it was sort of just that, that, you know, lingering confidence that, you know, we've, we've jumped from here to here to here to here. We are going to jump into MLS. And then once the MLS jump happened, just the leadership that they were able to bring with you was able to, to get Casey Keller, a hometown guy on the squad. They know to make big signings in those early days, like Freddie Montero, who's now back with the club, get a coach and see Schmidt. They made big moves at the start. So it was kind of just that slow burn of, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get to the, to the top league, you know, we'll get to MLS. But once it came in 09, it was just, it was a, it was a fire and, and you couldn't stop that fire. And we've seen it now where, you know, this team's won, you know, gone to, four MLS cups in five years. They're probably the team of the last decade in major league soccer. And, and we all knew that this, this was, you know, the potential and this could, could happen. And we have the right people in place to make it happen. So it's been, it's, you know, I, listen, I'm not old enough to remember those early days of the Sounders, but my dad, you know, was, and, and, you know, he wasn't, he's not a, he wasn't a huge soccer guy, but even he knew about them. So I think it was one of those teams that was always, on the mindset but it kind of was just like how enthusiastic are you about soccer to actually follow the club when they're in those other leagues right it's kind of like here in baltimore we have the indoor baltimore blast and i feel like everybody here knows them but it kind of warps their perception of 
soccer that way like when i'd say i'm going to a soccer match like to philly or whatever they, they think i'm talking like they'll ask me like are oh, do they play indoor or outdoor and i'm like they play outdoor <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you you kind of talked a little bit about it um but i do want to get your perspective from somebody that experiences the rivalry between the two portland and seattle can you kind of just walk us through maybe some of your favorite moments between the two and, and kind of the the rivalry that is the cornerstone because it's kind of cool in the way that you guys have it up in that Pacific Northwest, because in other sports, it's just not been the same kind of success. I guess you could say Seattle Seahawks, when you think about teams are one of the top teams and have done it successfully, but can you kind of speak to being the cornerstone, the two of your teams up in that Pacific Northwest area, and then the rivalry that exists between you two? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's intense to the point of, you know, I think it's, I think it's, listen, there are many, many really good rivalries in American sports. And, and for sure, as I mentioned before, it's the number one rivalry in, in American soccer. But I might even go as far to say it's the best rivalry in American sports. And I, you know you can say your Ohio State and Michigan you know, for you guys there for, for Baltimore you Raven Steelers you know <laughs> Yankees Red Sox obviously but but I don't think that any of them really get to the level that that Sounders Timbers does because what it is is we're so close obviously we're only divided by well it depends how dry, fast you drive but you know <laughs> two three hours <laughs> you know, and and the personalities of the cities, I think, are such a big part of it, mm -hmm. where Portland really is like Seattle's little brother. And, you know, they want to be us. And they, they certainly kind of, uh, you know, look at us like we are. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We, we, they probably look at us and think that that we think that they're they're that we're better than them, and not that we do. But all you have to do is look in the trophy case, and the Sounders have a lot more <laughs> than the Timbers. And right there, it's 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 the fan inside of me that's coming out because, I mean, listen, the, the Timbers have a nice culture and all, but but it it's it's the personality of the players of the fans that clash so well with Seattle and and you think back to you know some of the most amazing moments you know i i think back to gosh i'm 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 going in my my memory books you asked for like you know the the best moments and stuff you know one of my favorite moments i think is is Roger Levesque and this was in 2009 I think it was where where he scores in in just under a minute. I feel like, and and there's the famous celebration where Nate Jaqua uses his arms as like an axe and chops down Roger Levesque, who just scored you know under a minute, and it's just this remarkable moment of of the Sounders in their first year, and and Levesque, who's a, a longtime Sounder at that point, and and uh, you know it already ingrained uh, you know as a legend in this town just completely you know falls over it's it's just hilarious and wonderful um 2014 there was there was some amazing moments um there was a game a few years ago where the Sounders were down, I believe, two to one, and, and Roman Torres is brought on, and he sends a cross into Clint Dempsey, who who heads it home for it was a, it was a draw down in Portland, but it was just such an epic match. There's some amazing, amazing moments. Levesque's probably at the top of them, but uh, 
this rivalry is like nothing else. And I, you know, you, you go down to Providence park when the Sounders are there and you, you be it here at Lumen field when the Timbers are here, there is a, just a pure hatred of the fan bases. And, and it's, it's a hatred while allowing you to still have that respect and say, yes, you know, it, it's pretty cool what you're able to, you know, do culturally there. But at the same time, it is like, I, I will never like, uh, a Portland Timbers fan and a Portland Timbers fan will probably never like me. Um, so I think you're right though, in the sense of the rivalry, uh, even as a Raven Steelers rivalry person over here, uh, soccer is my favorite sport. So for me, it is, um, like, uh, so for my 30th birthday, which is coming up, I was supposed to go to, I was supposed to pick up, you know, like, uh, they, like they, my parents took my sister somewhere for her 30th. So they, said, what would you want to do for your 30th? And I said, I want to go to Seattle or Portland and watch these two teams play each other. So uh, that is that is the goal once I can actually go to a game, you know, depending on how the restrictions are this year. But uh, so I am very much looking forward to that. I do have a Seattle jersey and a Portland jersey. <laughs> though i collect jerseys for all the teams so you got um, you get up here to seattle for a game this year i'll take care of you just let me know when you're up <laughs> awesome yeah I'll, I'll try to get over there um but yeah so that's the dream for me and it was because i think i have this attachment to seattle sounders from um i really started following the league and like I, like i went to mls cup uh, 2007 when it was houston versus um new england it was in dc and my dad took me there and I was in high school and I just started, you know, slowly starting to get into the league here. And um, 2009, you know, Seattle enters the league. I like their colors. Green and blue are my favorite colors. And then they had the Xbox logo on their chest. And I was like, this is awesome. So I would always use them in like FIFA. I really liked Freddie Montero. So I just kind of like before the union joined in 2010, I was like, Oh, I like like casually watching Seattle. So I've kind of had that, you know, soft spot for them where uh, I always wanted a Seattle jersey, finally got one and want to go out there. So it, it is a very special rivalry, even to, I think, soccer fans outside of the region as well. So I would agree with you that it's probably one of the biggest in sports here in maybe not like popularity, but definitely in, in the yep. intensity. Absolutely. And also that, that, the Nate Jaqua, that was a name I've not heard in a long time. You just spit that one out. That was great. Um, so, so kind of going on to, you know, last year, 2020, um, what was your, uh, what was kind of the pros and cons of last year? You know, uh, it was a, a weird year for 2020 and then you had Portland winning MLS's back. So that probably wasn't so great up there in Seattle. And then, <laughs> and then you get to MLS cup, like you said, four out of five times and uh, uh, end up, you know, losing to the crew in a pretty disappointing fashion. Uh, I was rooting for you, but um, what was the, uh, was it kind of a disappointment overall then, or was it just good to get back to uh, the final? I think you, if you look at it as a whole, it was not a disappointing year. I mean, I went into the year kind of saying, listen, Seattle's playing with house money. You're, you're coming off, you know, an MLS cup win at home in one of the great days in, in all Sounders fans lives. You know, you've been to MLS cup three of the last four years. You know, I don't think anybody 
anybody was going into 2020 saying, yeah, Sounders absolutely have to have to have a great year. Uh, they had, they had kind of, you know, earned themselves the right to, you know, at least just not get to MLS cup. And then they did again. And at, at that point, in that week that feels like it was just last week, I, I'll remember that. And it was just, it was the enthusiasm and, and it was the, 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 the craziness of going, let's do this again. Let's go and win it three times in five years and be able to use that D word dynasty. And, and, you know, so much so that, you know, in all the interviews with, with, with Schmetzer and Loggerway and everything, we, we start to say like that D word, that D word. And I don't know if that added any, little bit of pressure or anything but but you know we you see the injuries or not injuries but the the covid you know affecting columbus and and the feelings of that game start to become oh gosh we 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 could do it this is this is it this is all shaping up for for a seattle win and then yes and then the game happens of course so if you look at the whole season and MLS's back was, was not good. That, that was unfortunately a failure with the loss uh, to LAFC in what was it? The round of 16. If you include that in there and you include the loss, I, I think, I think you can still probably consider it a successful season. I think a lot of fans are, are still really hung up on the performance that happened in MLS cup three, nothing to Columbus. And I think that affects how a lot of people view this season. And they say that it isn't a success because of that three, nothing loss. And, and I get that. And it was a really, really tough game um, for a lot of reasons. I don't know if anybody really on the Sounders had a good day that day in Columbus and, you know, especially so from Jovan Jones, it was just a really, really bad performance from him and, and some others. And so that made it a, a, a bad taste in your mouth from 2020. So I think a lot of people are, are really down on the whole year because of that game. I think of it as a successful season that just ended with one bad performance. Um, a, a little bit like 2017, where it was a really bad performance in Toronto. Well, I shouldn't say bad performance. Toronto was just simply the much, much better team in 2017. But you know, there was just, it was one bad day, one really bad day at the end of, I think, a successful run, getting back and doing something that only one team in MLS history had done. Only DC United went to four MLS Cups in five years, that at the start of this whole thing back in the late 90s. And the Sounders are the only other team to go to four MLS Cups in five years in a time where there, I think, is so much more parity in the league, many more teams in the league, obviously. So it's, I think it's more impressive what the Sounders did to get to four and five years. And you only won two, but at the end of the day, you look back at this, this last run in the last year, and, and I don't know how you can say it wasn't successful when you consider that they were able to do it again with, with really not that you know pressure to do so. Again, going back to it, I don't, I don't, I think they were playing with house money and I think they, they ended and they were able to walk out of the casino with a pretty good haul regardless of that last game. Yeah. Especially after that Minnesota playoff game where it was <laughs> oh, one of the best playoff insane. games in MLS history. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that you make that big comeback when it seemed like you're going to be going out that, you know, the, the final is just that, like you said, the house money there. 
Yeah, that Minnesota game. Shoot, I was just talking to a buddy about that earlier today because <laughs> the founders are opening up the 2021 yes, season in right. Minnesota on April 16th. And, and uh, yeah, that 3-2 comeback where you get three goals in about 19 minutes, that was that was probably the, the best moment of the Seattle sports year, if you're talking to me. Yeah, that so, was awesome. Yeah, Go ahead, was- Logan. Yeah, so the like looking at specifics, then I mean, it kind of like your hand stung after that last, you know, after falling out of that final in kind of a disappointing way. But I want to shed some light, I guess, on the team. What were some positives? I mean, looking at the team going into 2021 that you think they can build off of um, based off their performance last year? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I think we'll start with Alex Roldan at the right back spot. This is a kid who came into the year and and Kelvin Leardom was clearly the starting right back and Alex was going to be the backup. And Alex Roldan is a kid who who's from Seattle University. The Sounders drafted him and he started in the defensive midfield and he played a little bit out there on the wing in the 4-2-3-1 that Schmetzer uses. And they decided to convert him to right back. And it's obviously very hard when you're converting from more of a midfielder, especially especially defensive midfielder role to a fullback spot. And Alex rolled on did it beautifully. Uh, it was just fantastic what he was able to do from that right back spot being both good defensively and then really good on the offensive end. So that was a really po- a huge positive that we saw as the 2020 season went forward that Alex Roldan can be a reliable person to start at right back so much so that Brian Schmetzer went ahead and started him in every match in the playoffs at right back, including MLS Cup, when Kelvin Leardom was possibly healthy enough to start MLS Cup at that right back spot. Alex Roldan got the nod. And, and he didn't have a very good MLS cup. He didn't have a great game against Minnesota, but the kid, you know, hung in there and he certainly, you know, had, had a number of learning experiences that are going to make him better in the future. So I think Alex Roldan is a huge positive spot. Joao Paulo was in his first year. He came up to Seattle from Botafogo at the start of 2020. He was a really, really solid addition. That's going to continue in the defensive midfielder from for Seattle in this next year. Yamar Gomez Andrade is a center back. He's, he had his first year with Seattle in 2020. He is kind of, I'm not going to go as far to say, you know, the new Chad Marshall here, uh, but he is the new center back number one for this team that they really, really needed with the exits of Roman Torres, Kim Kihi, and Chad Marshall. You needed a number one center back, a big bodied guy to come in and own that spot. And Gomez Andrade has been just fantastic at that spot. So when you look at that side of, of the defense, I, I think that the, the back four, I think that's really strong. You know, Nicholas Adero is going to continue to be the best player for the Sounders at that number 10 spot. You have Rui Diaz up top. He had a, a really good year and he's just going to continue on that horse. You know, Christian Roldan with the versatility to play both next to Joao Paulo in the defensive midfield and go up to that right wing spot. I think that versatility is good. Stefan Fry is obviously a mainstay in goal you know there are things carrying over now and then with the additions that the club made in this offseason I I think that the team is very different in terms of how they'll play from from how they played in 2020 and in the year prior but it's a team that should be in contention again so I think when you look at specific spots you know and getting Brad Smith back at the left backs 
what they can do in terms of the versatility to, in terms of lineups from the 4-2-3-1 to potentially having two forwards in a lineup now in 2021 with Freddie Montero back. So Brian Schmetzer, I think uh, he, he should be feeling um, cautiously optimistic about this team going into 2021 simply because of the success that they've had. The culture is there and you still have Rui Diaz, Ladero, Joao Paulo and Gomez Andrade in Fry building that spine down the middle of your squad. I think, I think that's going to anchor this club to success in 2021. I was going to say you talked about spine um, and, you know, watching as a fan, uh, just of the game and a fan of somebody that finally was able to get his opportunity. And I know Jordan and I right away, just heartbroken for Jordan Morris and everything that happened, uh, his, you know, his way of turning down offers, he could have gone uh, to Europe or, or really fulfilled those dreams earlier, finally decides to take that chance, um, you know, because he, he felt, felt personally that it was, he was in the right spot then, everything was was working out for him then. Um, and, you know, just to see him go down, how important has Jordan Morris been not only for that club, but for that city? It feels like he was the heartbeat uh, of Seattle for some time there. Yeah, uh, it, heartbreak is a great word when he went down uh, in that game. And I think when Jordan, when it was announced that he was loaned over there to Swansea just a few months ago, I think a lot of us here in Seattle were, were just so excited and happy for him because, he, you know, I've, I've talked with the, the kid a number of times. I shouldn't even say kid. I think, I think we're about the same age, but you talk <laughs> with him a number of times and, and I think it was pretty well known around here that, that Jordan's dream was to play in Europe. And, you know, he decides not to go and, and stay over there with Werder Bremen, you know, when he first comes out and he decides to sign with the Seattle Sounders and, and, and he, the decision he made there, you knew that it probably wasn't best for his soccer future in the sense of, of wanting to be the best player possible, because if right. you want to be the best player possible, you go and learn from the best, you play against the best. And certainly in a Bundesliga club like that, that's going to benefit his game the most, but you look at him as a person and, you know, his dad, uh, Dr. Michael Morris, mm -hmm. he is the team doctor for the Sounders. He's the, the team's medical director and orthopedic surgeon. And, and you think about his connection there. And then he has the Jordan Morris Foundation. And, and, and Jordan was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was nine. And so he builds this foundation to help kids. And, and one of our hosts at 950 KJR, Ian Furness, his son also has type 1. And, and to see the work that I was able to see just up close and personal and, and, and see the whole story of what he does with kids who have type 1 diabetes in this area, uh, to show them that this is a, you know, a, a really, really terrible thing, but you don't have to be limited by it. You can go do great things. You can be everything that you want to be. Just look at me. I'm playing in MLS. The connection that he has made on this community being from basically Seattle, Mercer Island, which is just, you know, 10 minutes from the stadium, you know, and then, what he's done with the community and that doesn't even factor in then what he's done on the field where the statistics are just insane on what he's done I mean you look at 2020 where he has 10 goals and eight assists I believe the stats were almost the same for 2019 
you know, he was injured for all of 2018. And so to come back from that ACL injury in 2018 that he suffered at the very start of the year in the first game, I think it was like the 81st minute of the first game in 2018. And to come back from that and have back-to-back great seasons, it was so awesome to see Jordan finally get that dream accomplished of going to Europe and being on the precipice of, of accomplishing that dream, playing in the EPL as Swansea was in line to be promoted. and and now where does it leave him right because now it's a situation where jordan's going to have to come back here and the, the he'll recover from this he'll start fresh in 2022 and he'll have to have another successful 2022 just to be considered by a team like swansea or a, a team you know over in germany or, or whatnot whoever it is and and it's a lot to ask to think that to, to Jordan could do it. If there's anybody who can do it and get back to that level and, and, you know, regain the confidence of, of teams overseas that I am worth bringing to your roster. I, I think Jordan could do it. You just look at the ages, you look at you, what he's going to have to do. And, and by the time that he does it, is a team going to, to take a chance on him over there? I don't know. I really hope so, but I don't know. And, and that was the first thing to go through my mind when I saw Jordan go down for Swansea, it was that might be it for the dream. And as somebody who's, you know, uh, I've, you know, I talked with Jordan almost weekly, you know, prior to this last year where it was the pandemic and everything. And I have him on the show a lot. And, and Jordan is such an amazing human being and such a great guy. And it just absolutely broke my heart to, to think that, that, that his dream might now be over. But again, if there's anybody who can do it, it's him. And, and I'm, I, I hope to see him back in 2022 and rip it up. And hopefully he can still go accomplish that dream in, I guess, what would be mid 2022 fingers crossed, but yeah. maybe 2023. Right. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And by then he's like 28 or 29. Yeah. Right? Um, At that, yeah. It's, it's a lot to ask. Um, Moving on here, uh, you mentioned him quite a few times, Brian Schmetzer. Uh, he, you know, took over and, geez, what year was that? Twenty fifteen or sixteen? Sixteen. Uh, it was a sixteen, 16 right, right in the middle yeah. of a middle of a middle of a bad year. Yep, <laughs> but yep. Pretty good. Really <laughs> struggling there, and then Nico Ladero comes in, and uh, Ziggy gets fired, and in comes Schmetzer, and uh, you know, former coach of the USL uh, Sounders as well, and. So he's very familiar with the club. He's been there forever. Uh, but it kind of seemed like uh, contract status was up in the air, you know, uh, going into the offseason. Was there any worry in Seattle that maybe Smetzer would leave either because they weren't going to extend him? Or was it any worry he might go somewhere else? I think there was a little bit of worry on fans because of the way that it happened happened and you have you know the you have various stories come out and stuff and and you various wording of answers and whatnot made it kind of a little bit scary for I think some people internally and for me personally I I never had a doubt 
I mean, Brian Schmetzer is Seattle through and through. I mean, he grew up 30 minutes from, from where he now coaches, you know, he it's, 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 <laughs> he's right here in Seattle. He went to Nathan Hale high school. He played with the Sounders. He's coached, as you guys said, through all the levels, he's waited patiently for his turn so that when Siggy left, Brian got the interim job and, you know, I, they, they kind of went to Brian and, and gave him kind of a, a test to see, you know, what he could do in that interim spot. And, Oh, he just goes and wins MLS cup. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I think for Brian Schmetzer, it's a situation where he just wanted to make sure both he was taken care of, but also that his assistants were taken care of. And it was announced just yesterday that all of his assistants are back with contract extensions. And I think Brian wanted to make sure that his amazing coaching staff full of Jimmy Traore and Gonzo Pineda and Precky and Tommy Dutra, this entire staff, Adam Owen, was able to come back and 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 for sure it's the best staff as a whole in Major League Soccer. And and because what you have in this staff is different personalities and different ways of looking at the game, and they all work together so well. And Gonzalo Mader is probably destined for bigger and better things, maybe even Mexican national team. You know, I think Preki could go probably get a pretty good job. And Tommy Jutra is the best goalkeeping coach in the nation. And all of these different guys are so good. And when they work together, they can get a club to four MLS Cups in five years. So I think Brian looked at it that way. Like, I want to be back, but I want everybody to be back. And you knew that with owner Adrian Hanauer being a Seattle guy as well, they wanted to get this done. It was just about figuring out all of the details and whatnot. So I was fully confident that eventually it was going to get done. But, be, you know, contract negotiations are finicky and stuff happens. And you never know if a team's going to swoop in and offer an, an insane amount of money. But they were able to get it done. And, and I think... I think people, you know, it, it's sort of like people here in Seattle freaking out about Russell yes. Wilson being traded from the Seahawks. I think, I think fans <laughs> love to freak out about things that there's no reason to freak out about. I don't think Russell Wilson's getting traded, and I don't think Brian Schmetzer had there was ever a chance he was going to leave Seattle. But fans freak out because because of the various ways things get done and the various comments and articles and you know the various interviews being done and and that makes fans freak out. But but I don't think that there was ever a doubt in the minds of Schmetzer, in the minds of Garth Lagerwey, Adrian Hanauer, that eventually it was going to get done, and it did. Yes, yeah, so I think we'll, we'll dive in a little deeper here, um, field you some questions, uh, attacking side and defensive side. Uh, the first one that I wanted to just kind of go over, um, are there concerns uh, about winger depth? I, I know with Jordan Morris gone, obviously, um, there's some concern maybe there and, and what do they do on that? What is it? The right wing um, that can Rodon play uh, on that spot or, you know, are they looking for other options there? Yeah. I mean, there is a concern. I, you know, I mentioned how the spine of the team is so strong, but certainly I think, I think the wings are a little bit of a weird thing. I think the fullback spots are pretty strong as well. Um, they were able to bring back Jimmy Madronda as well, who can play left back. You have Brad Smith, you have Nuhu. Uh, who is probably the most fun player to watch in Major League Soccer. Uh, Alex rolled on at the right back spot, and, and I, I wonder what they can do in, in terms of, of that position as well. They brought in Kellen Rowe, who's a Federal Way native just, uh, just south of Seattle. 
So Kellen Rose, a guy who can play at the right back spot. And then the wing spots are kind of up in the air, right? Because you bring back Freddie Montero. It's, I guess, theoretically possible that Montero could be on the wing, but I, I, I see him more as a second forward. I think when he did his interview back with Seattle media, Freddie sees himself as a second forward as well in, in a kind of a two forward formation. So there's that. So you go through the, the wing depth. You're right. I mean, what are you going to do? Use left back Brad Smith on the left wing. That's a possibility. <laughs> you can use Kellen Rowe on the right wing. I guess that's a possibility. Christian Roldan, we've seen that he can be on the right wing. I would like to see Christian on the right wing because it's a proven winger that can stand in there. And then you can, you have a, a few different options. You can throw next to Joao Paulo in the defensive midfield, Jordi Delem, Danny Leva is a young kid that I want to see a lot more of after an injury filled the year of 2020. I think Danny Leva is in for big things in 2021. So if you do go with Delem and Leva next to Joao Paulo in the defensive midfield, if Brian Schmetzer six to a four, two, three, or sorry. Yeah. Four, two, three, one. And you're able to throw Christian Roldan out on the right wing, then that is a solidified place right there. You don't have to worry about the right wing. Christian's the guy. It's the left wing where things got to get figured out. And, you know, how does Kellen Rowe factor in that? How does Brad Smith factor in that? Nobody is a true left winger. And that makes 2021 very interesting because it really is going to be the wait and see approach until this team can bring in a new winger they have they have the tam money because they were able to loan jordan morris over to swansea so they have a little bit of cash relief there they actually have a sell-on money from the uh, sale of henry wingo he's kind of transferred and, and hopped over a couple places in europe so because of that they get a little bit of a sell-on price right there so as garth lagerways talked about it they have kind of a, a pile of gold that they didn't think that they would have and now they do the problem is they can't spend it right now because they can't scout because of COVID. So they don't have a sporting director. Chris Henderson went to Miami. So they got to get a sporting director in here. They got to get some scouting done. Then they can get a winger in. And when you get a winger in sometime in the summer, fingers crossed, that's when the team then can, you know, hopefully take that next step and get right back to where we've seen them these last five years. But as it's built right now, this it, certainly we are concerned about the wing spots, but you know that for you know somebody as good as Garth Lagerwey at that job, it's not going to stay that way all the way through November. They're going to make a move at some point in the summer, you know, fingers crossed that we're there, they're able to start scouting, but it looks like kind of we're, we're on the other end of this COVID thing. So once all that happens, I have the confidence that this team's going to be able to move forward and have success in uh, 2021 once they get that that spot solidified. Yeah, so you talked a little. I mean, do you think that it's possible that Schmetzer goes from like a goes to like a four four two or like a uh, you know like three in the back kind of thing with some of these, I guess some of these attacking problems in mind. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, and he said as much. Schmetcher said that they're going to experiment with formations. I think it is a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2. It, you know, obviously, it kind of just changes as the right. game goes. But you have Javier Arriaga and Shane O'Neill as that second center back and the third center back. And, that, and last year in the 4-2-3-1, they kind of switched those guys in and out 
where it was kind of let's play the hot hand and both of them were very streaky and they've had their bad games and they had their good games and you kind of just play the hot hand but i, I think obviously if they go to a, uh, if the three five two both of them are going to be starting on either side of yamar gomez on drive right. there's there's your back three then gets the interesting part and we'll quickly hit the the, the forwards and that's probably going to be raul Ruiz diaz and will bruin and then because there's so many games for Peru this year, Rui Diaz is going to be gone for a large portion of 2021. So at that point, it's Will Bruin next to Freddie Montero. That's pretty easy to call the forwards. Things get really muddied up when you try to figure out what they're going to do then with the five midfielders. You have a large group of Christian Roldan and Nicholas Ladero and Joao Paulo. Those are the three that are absolutely going to be there. Alex Roldan slash Kellen Rowe is probably on the right wing back of that side. And then the left wing back can be your, you know, new who or Brad Smith. I would personally like to see Brad Smith in there. If it's a wing back, you need that wing back to get up the field. So in that sense, I would like the Sounders to do a lot of the three, five, two this year, because I think it allows them more flexibility to to use the lineup that they have, to use the roster that they have right now, because you can have a Alex Roldan and Kellen Rowe as the right wing back, and you can use the new who and Brad Smith and also Jimmy Madronda as the left wing back, and you have that depth. And then you can slide in an Al, uh, you can slide in a Christian Roldan, you know, if he needs to go you know, play at any one of those other three spots. You can have Nicholas Ladero play at any one of those three spots. He's extremely versatile. So I think that three, five, two allows the Sounders the best chance for success in 2021. The question is how much we're going to see it because, you know, Schmetzer loves his four, two, three, one. And in that case, you got to figure out a true left winger. And, and I'm not sure this team has a true left winger right now. Right. And so like looking at some of their depth, I mean, you look at those starting guys and, and it's one of the best starting 11 um, by far when, when playing and, and healthy. Um, and you just mentioned that left wing uh, and some of these attacking pieces that are that seem to be interchangeable at times. Uh, I do want to focus on a little bit. Uh, it seems like there's going to be some young guys that get some minutes, some important minutes, uh, minutes that uh, I think that'll be great for their development. Uh, Danny Leva is one that, I think personally, it just it seems like it's the perfect time for him to after that injury to get back on the right track and and really develop his game. Can you speak a little bit to the younger guys that are going to get some time? Uh, maybe that you know Seattle fans don't know much about, or you know guys like us that are looking from the outside in. Do you have any of these young guys that you're really looking forward to uh, developing their game in 2021? There's a few of them, and and I think Danny Lave is the right place. Place to start because if Schmetzer does stick with the 4-2-3-1 and they go with Christian Roldan on the right wing, which I think is probably the smartest thing to do because it's a proven right winger in, in a system where, you know, in a lineup where you need a proven winger, at least one of them, then I think it's your question is Danny Leva or Jordi Delem. And I, we need to play Danny Leva more, especially if the Sounders eventually want to sell Danny Leva and make a boatload of money from a team over in Europe who sees the potential of this kid. Danny Leva has got to get more playing time. And I think there's a huge opportunity for Danny to, to after a, a year in 2020 that tested him in a number of ways, specifically through those injuries, he's going to have to show his strength and he's going to have to show that he is ready to, to be a 
every week starting defensive midfielder. So, so can Danny take that spot by the horns and show that he is ready for that? I think that's a big question for 2021. I want to see it because I think the kid has what it takes, but uh, that's all comes down to, to how Brian Schmetzer and his coaching staff feels that Danny Leva is progressing. And if he is ready to, to take that next step, I think that Jordy DeLem is a, a fine player. I think he is a starting caliber player, probably in the, you know, bottom half of major league soccer teams uh, in the defensive midfield, but the Sounders aren't a bottom half of the league team. So does that mean that Jordy DeLem is an every week starter for this team? I'm not sure. I would rather risk it with, with Danny Leva, allow Danny to grow over the course of this year and become better and better and better before eventually the club perhaps sells him uh, to, to make the, 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 the money. So I would like to see Danny Leva take that next step, but there is a bunch of guys, you know, Josh Atencio is a midfielder, but more center back uh, that the team can throw in. If it's a, if it's a system where they're going with a three, five, two, and they need three center backs out there, having Josh Atencio, a young kid off the bench, he's six, one, one seventy four, and And the kid plays big. Uh, he's come in at center back late in games. A few times, Brian Schmetzer has called on him to get a few minutes. I think Josh Atencio is a guy to watch. Uh, Ethan Doublelayer is one of my favorite players. He's ridiculously long, young. I think he's only 18 years old. But Ethan Doublelayer is a kid who came up through the Sounders Academy, and he got a few moments last year. And specifically, he got a start in LA against the Galaxy last year in a game that, uh, at the start of it, you know, I was doing the broadcast with with Tacoma Defiance, new Tacoma Defiance head coach Wade Weber. And Wade's a guy who had watched Ethan Doubler play a number of times down with the coma because Wade was the assistant coach last year. And, and it was really interesting to see how Ethan was going to take his first start. And I, I thought he did great. And my expectations weren't very high. So I was, you know, listen, the kids out there against the galaxy in LA, you don't, you know, you can't expect too much, but he, in my opinion, he should have forced a penalty in the first few minutes ball that ricocheted off of a LA galaxy defenders arm in the box absolutely should have been a penalty, but it wasn't called. And then regardless, you know, past that I thought that he had a pretty good game he moved well with the ball his passing was on point he didn't do he didn't touch the ball too many times but every time he did touch the ball I felt he, he did well with it so Ethan Doublers is somebody that I want to see really develop this year Shandon Hopi I was still young I believe he's 22 or 23 years old um, he's a kid from Hawaii who's been with the midfield for the Tacoma to fine squad for a number of years and this is a chance for him with the Sounders to now get some meaningful time uh, he can play out on the wing I think he's not an optimal winger but he can play there and in a year where you may not have a lot of wingers Shannon Hopiow is going to be really really interesting to watch for this team so you know there, there's a number of guys that that you can look at and say that they need to step up Alfonso Campo Chavez is the one I was forgetting I'm glad I mentioned him because he is a forward with this team he's also really young I believe 18 years old and if you play with a two forward formation with Will Bruin and uh and Freddie Montero while Raul Ruiz is with Peru then you're going to need a third forward off the bench Alfonso Campo Chavez is a guy who can do that so I hope that Alfonso Campo Chavez gets a few more opportunities here in 2021 in those formations where he has some help there like a big Will Bruin next to him late in games uh if they need you know some some energy and some some pace off the bench 
just wanted to ask a quick question here with, about Nicholas Ladero. You know, he's been instrumental for the for the team uh, since he joined uh, and led to MLS Cup uh, in 2016. But where do you think uh, he ranks amongst the legends of of Seattle Sounders? Is he at the very top? Because I think he's one of the best players this league has uh, ever seen. Yeah, he's number one. It's, it's, <laughs> I think the debate's over now, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can, yeah. you can say, you can say Ozzy Alonzo and you can, you know, you, you say various names here and there, but Nicholas Ladero came to the Sounders in the middle of 2016, promptly won an MLS cup, got the Sounders to four MLS cups in five years. He's been the anchor right there at the number 10 spot. And it, you statistically, he just continues to pull off amazing runs year in and year out. It was another seven goal tennis performance. I feel like he puts up those numbers almost every single year where he gets just under 10 goals and uh, over 10 assists. I mean, he does it almost every single year and you, you know exactly what you're going to get out of Nico. And, and I think if there's one thing that I'd like to see less of in 2021, it's Nico feeling like he has to do it all himself. And there were some mm-hmm. games last year where it felt like Nico knew what he had out there at the wing spots and he knew what else he had out there in the midfield. And he knew that, Oh, I got to do more and I got to run more. And, and he kind of just, you know, he starts running around a little bit too much, um, you know, just to, to find his way to the ball to help out various other spots. I think that, that Nico is one of those guys that he makes everybody better around him. And when I look at the trophies he's won and when I look at the impact he's had, when I look at the stats that he's put up, you know, for now five years, there is nobody else clear. I shouldn't say there's nobody else close at the top because there are people who are close, but it, but it's Nico number one and then everybody else. Yeah, so I'll I'll add one more question for the attack, um, and hopefully it's nothing like New York uh, City FC, and you just shoot down the fact that they're going to bring any money in to buy people. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you feel uh, that this team is looking at? You know, they're looking at their team on on paper. Do you feel like they're happy with what they have, or do you think that there might be something else that they're looking to tweak here with a couple of weeks, I guess, before uh, they really hit the ground running? Yeah, nothing's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks before this the season opens. I don't think uh, you have your team. They brought back Freddie Montero, and that was a necessary addition and such a smart addition for Garth Lagerway and staff because in a year where you're not able to scout, bringing in a guy like Freddie Montero to solidify your forward position and solidify your attack is so meaningful. But I, I don't know if they're happy with it. I think that they, they may say they're happy with it and – you know, I think I think that they may be happy with some of the results they'll get, but at the same time, you don't have a true left winger. And and being that that's the case, I don't think that you can be happy. So I don't think that this the the, the club will be fully happy with what they have on paper until they bring in an addition. You know, in in the summer, using that money and and they got from from Jordan and from Henry Wingo sell on so I think that that's the necessary addition to make them happy but that's not going to happen until they're able to bring in a sporting director here hopefully in the next few weeks or so and then scout and then find a winger who can come in and play for the 
this team for the next three years as a TAM player and contribute right there from that left wing spot. And you know that Jordan's going to be back in 2022 and he can be on the right or the left wing, but you need a, another guy right now and you don't have that right now. So you can't be happy with it, but I, th- I think that we'll get there. I think that they'll, they'll make a signing in the summer and the Sounders will be right back there in the playoffs and, and everything will be hunky dory there when we, when we hit October, but yeah, for the next few months, I think it's going to be a, a little bit interesting to see how they 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 mesh this attack and, and where they get the goals from and and if if all of the weight is really going to be on Nicholas Ladero and Rui Diaz when he's in the lineup, but certainly Nicholas Ladero to facilitate and and get this team goals, you know, in the first few months before they can bring in a winger. Uh, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, uh, the Sounders were one of the top defenses in the league and the top one in the West, just allowing 23 goals in 22 matches. What do you think it was that made them so solid in the in the back? Uh, a number of things. Um, I think Minou, who is an exceptional one-on-one defender from the left-back spot, and he played a lot this year and or last year, and, and Nuhu you you know that you're going to be able to lock down defensively when he's in there. I think that Brian Schmitzer and his staff did a really good job of playing the hot hand, as I mentioned, between Javier Arriaga and Shane O'Neill. Those two had up and down 2020, but I think they always figured out who was the right guy to get in there based on who they were playing. Um, the right back spot, Kelvin and, and Alex Roldan did a fine job. But I think the number one guy to answer your question is Yamar Gomez Andrade. I mean, this is a dude who's built like a tank. He has thighs the size of school buses. Um, and, and on top of being a big guy, he's incredibly athletic. We saw his ability to also be on the offensive end as well. But Yamar Gomez Andrade pretty much stops everything in his path. And when you have a huge guy who's built like him, while being able to to keep up and and be athletic and and keep up with you know the likes of Diego Rossi and those type of players that's something really really special so i think he was probably the number one reason why the sounders were able to be so stout defensively but apart from the back four it's stefan fry too i mean stefan fry is the best goalkeeper in mls i don't care what the awards say and when you have a guy back there like steph that's going to allow you to be a top defensive team every single year. And his leadership from that back end is going to allow you to have such a successful, you know, defensive performance week in and week out. So I think it goes back to that spine, having, having Yamar there and having Steph there and then kind of just having, you know, good pieces around the sides of the defense just allowed this team. And not to mention the defensive midfield as well. Christian Roldan is a great defender from the defensive midfield. Joel Paulo's good is in there as well. You know, they, they just have the pieces and the leadership back there to have successful days week in and week out. Oh, that Fry match, though, in the, the 2016 MLS Cup uh, <laughs> final was just outstanding yeah. the way he played then, too. Uh, so, yeah, he's always been one of the best in the league for sure. Yeah, where, I was going to ask you, where do you rank him amongst goalkeepers in the history of the league? In the history of the league, that is a difficult question. Um, one that I probably, honestly, guys, 
need to take a few more minutes on before I before I answer that. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, it's I mean, Stephen Fry is is exceptional, um, and for the length of time he's done it, uh, I, I think it is just amazing. And he just continues to be at the top level. It's it's a criminal that he's never won a goalkeeper of the year award, but you know, alas, he just keeps producing these great years and these great statistics. And last year he saw it again. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if he's top ten. Uh, I, that's something that I'd have to go look back at, you know, statistics and, and, and whatnot and, and see where he ranks up. All right. So the usual uh, last question here, uh, but I have a follow-up to it as well. Uh, but the, what is a, what is a successful season for Sounders in 2021? Is it making like, do they have to make the final again or win the final or is there another benchmark? I don't think they have to make the final again. It's sort of like I said earlier, where the Sounders played with house money in, in 2020. Right. There's, I think they're still playing with house money where you, you've gone to four and lost cups in five years. You have a team this year. That's not exactly the way you want it to look at the start of the year. You can't scout. You're going to have to wait till summer to bring in a true left winger. It's kind of funny. You look at it this way, right? So in 2016, they won MLS cup. In 2017, we went to MLS Cup and lost. In 2018, the team missed, uh, ended up getting knocked out in the, what was it, Western Conference semifinals to Portland. 2019, win MLS Cup. 2020, you, <laughs> you lose MLS Cup. So if we're just continuing on this pattern, the Sounders would lose in the Western Conference semifinals. I think what would constitute a good season is making the west final i think that would be a successful year and maybe even just you know being really competitive but but losing to a to a great team in the semis i don't think that they have to get back to mls cup because just simply the the team isn't built i think the way it was the last few years Mm -hmm. they're 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 they're, it's not it's not a true rebuild but you know it's kind of just a recharge a little bit so i I think this team could be absolutely 100 percent mls cup favorites next year jordan morris being back uh, and you know a a left winger being in here you know more depth on the squad etc etc another year for the development of alex ruled on brad smith here I, i i think that 2022 could have mls cup written all over it but this year, I, I, I'm not sure a successful year is getting back. I think a successful year is simply winning a playoff match, uh, you know, getting in, having a good year, and then and also just developing the kids more, getting more development for Ethan Doubler, getting more development for Danny Leva, Alfonso Campo Chavez. You know, Freddie Montero comes back, and Freddie Montero, you know, is going to have some, some great moments in Ray Green again, and that's going to be awesome to see. So I, I think just – a, a good year where people are able to to you know have uh, some real joy after a tough 2020 seeing the club again here in Seattle at Lumen Field getting back in the stadium um, uh, and 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 winning a playoff match I think that would constitute a successful year when we all understand that that the way the roster is built right now as of March 10th it's not the way we want this team to look on October 10th. And here, here's my, uh, pre- I'm asking you for a prediction here. This is a joke though. Uh, since 2015, it's been either Seattle or Portland in MLS cup final, which one is going to make MLS cup final this year? 
well, if I had to pick one of them, I'll pick Seattle. Um, Portland, this, I mean, Portland, Portland's built pretty well. You know, yeah. they have they have a pretty good roster down there, and I think you know what Jimmy Chara did. You know in the back half of 2020 we saw his skill so portland has a really good roster uh i just i i'm never going to pick portland to do something and go further than seattle <laughs> because, uh, portland is always going to have a worse team than seattle even you know in in the worst of years uh i think portland will have a worse year <laughs> well uh thank you uh jackson for jumping on here did you want to plug uh your your handles one more time yeah, it's a Jackson B. Feltz, F-E-L-T-S is my last name, Jackson B. Feltz on Twitter. Um, I do all my stuff at sportsradiokjr.com uh, and our pre- and post-game shows, uh, Sounders Weekly, all of it on the iHeartRadio app. All you got to do is search Sounders Weekly. And that was Jackson Feltz, host of Sounders Weekly and Sounders FC pre- and post-game show on 950 KJR in Seattle. Uh, Logan, what was your biggest takeaway here from uh, the interview with Jackson? I think how much Jordan Morris means to the city of Seattle. I, I, you know, from the outside looking in, you know that he's tough. Uh, He comes back from injury before, comes back, injures the the other knee. And and it seems that, you know, just some really bad luck. Uh, It seems like everything has been working against him since go. Um, And I think that just his involvement with the city – with some of the charities that Jackson mentioned and overall just talking to Jackson about him talking to Jordan and just getting an idea of how great this guy is and how good of a player he is. He not only matches that personality on the pitch, but he matches that personality off the pitch as well. And I think that that, you know, when he was speaking about it, you could tell just how meant or just how much that, that injury meant to, everybody I think they all felt like they were Jordan's family at that point because I think that here's a guy that is on the precipice of uh I can't I didn't say that word right um precipice thank you I like (laughs) spit halfway through it um but I think that he's on that cusp of breaking through and and honestly I think if if all things were going well he ends up in the Premier League next year uh, with a good chance to play he's going to be on the outside looking in and, and hopefully getting a spot on the U.S. men's national team at that point, uh, really competitive and hopefully grabbing one of those spots um, in that starting 11. But then, you know, all these things happen, um, everything working against him. And now, you know, he's not going to see a pitch until 2022, roughly. So, you know, I think that, you know, I think he sees some time maybe if they're lucky. Um, I think they said nine months. But again, you don't want to rush anything like this. But again, it's it just how much that he has meant to Seattle for, for those years that he's been there. That's the biggest thing that I took away from it. Obviously, there's a bunch of other stuff going on that he talked about. But that was that was one that really just tugged up the heartstrings a little bit when he was talking about it. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm not really sure what my biggest takeaway here is. I feel like I know this team pretty well to uh, – uh, I don't think I was really surprised by anything here. Um, But I think overall what I'm looking forward to here with the Seattle team is, is Freddie Montero back. Uh, And actually they just tweeted out pictures of him in the kit for the first time. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, It's like a full circle moment. So 
excited for him to be back. Yeah, I was excited for him to be back in MLS, but I'm really excited for him to now be back in Seattle and, and kind of see if he's able to, uh, I don't know, you know, he, he didn't get to win an MLS Cup there. So it'd be nice if maybe they can circle around and get that. Um, but yeah, I just kind of thought up that last question on the spot there just to have a little fun and see who he would say. I knew, of course, he's going to say Seattle. <laughs> so. Uh, it's going to be a, that's going to be a really fun rivalry um, this year, especially if Sebastian Blanco is healthy for the Timbers. Yes. I think yeah. those are, to be honest with you, I think that, that uh, if all things go right, that, that top three, those top three spots, man, those are going to be a battle. Um, even if Minnesota can start to play pretty well and mm-hmm. um, challenge, I think you're looking at at least three very, very good teams um, I actually think Portland's probably the better of the out of Seattle and them that right now as the as the roster stands. So we'll Jordan, see with Jordan. With this Seattle is the in. Seattle preview. You can't I know, I know. Portland. Well, I'm just answering my own question <laughs> of what I asked. <laughs> um, oh man, close your so, ears, Seattle. <laughs> but my main point being, Seattle needs to go out and yeah. get a few more players. I, I think, think so too to, to really cement that. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the home openers. Let's do huh? it. This is exciting. I'm so excited. All right, excited. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list out all of them here okay. and what channel they're on uh, okay. for the ones that are on national TV. And then we'll go and pick three for each week. So MLS week one, opening night, Friday, April 16th, 8 p.m. Eastern, Houston Dynamo versus the San Jose Earthquakes. That's going to be on MLS Live on ESPN+. Plus. At 9.30, we have Seattle Sounders versus Minnesota United on FS1. So I'm really pumped for those two matchups. Uh, Saturday, April 17th, we have Red Bulls versus SKC at 1 o'clock. At 2 o'clock, we have uh, Club de Foot Montreal versus Toronto FC. Uh, That's on TSN in Canada. That should be on ESPN Plus here. Uh, 3 o'clock, Logan should be in the stands, hopefully. Orlando City facing off against Atlanta United on Unimas. LAFC at 5.30 facing off against Austin in their first matchup. That's on Fox, Big Fox. Uh, At 8 o'clock, it's FC Dallas versus the Rapids. Uh, Then at 8 o'clock, it's also DC United versus NYCFC. 8.30, Chicago Fire versus the Revs. 8.30, Nashville versus Cincinnati, uh, FC Cincinnati. Sunday, April 18th, 3 p.m. on ABC, Inter Milan. I'm Inter Milan, Inter Miami facing off against LA Galaxy. Columbus Crew facing off against the Union. That's the MLS Cup winners against the MLS Supporter Shield winners. That's on FS1 at 5.30 on Sunday, the 18th of April. Uh, Whitecaps facing off against Portland at 10 p.m. on TSN and ESPN Plus on Sunday, April 18th. All of the names of the teams I said first are home matches. MLS Week 2, we have SKC versus Orlando City on Friday, April 23rd at 7.30 on FS1. Saturday, April 24th, we have NYCFC versus FC Cincinnati at 1 o'clock. At 3 o'clock, we have Toronto FC versus uh, Whitecaps. That's on TSN and ESPN+. 3.30, we have Quakes versus FC Dallas on Univision. Univision. Uh, Atlanta United versus Chicago Fire at 8 o'clock on the 24th of April. 
eight o'clock as well on the 24th of April. It's Minnesota United versus RSL. Eight o'clock, we have Revs versus DC United. Also at eight, we have the Union versus Inner Miami. Colorado Rapids at nine o'clock against Austin FC. Portland Timbers against Houston Dynamo at 1030. Then on Sunday, April 25th, just the one match, LA Galaxy versus the Red Bulls at 5.30 p.m. on FS1. Just other home openers here. Saturday, May 1st, RSL versus SKC at 2 o'clock. Sunday, May 16th, FC Cincinnati opens up their new West End Stadium 4 p.m. on Fox against Miami, if I didn't say that already. Saturday, June 19th, Austin gets their home opener against the Quakes on Unimas at 9 p.m. All right. So we're going to go ahead here, and uh, Logan's going to pick his matchup of week one. I'm going to pick my matchup of week one, and then we'll kind of do a joint one here. So, Logan, what is your first what, – what is your week one matchup? Yeah, so we actually talked about it. Uh, Seattle Sounders and Minnesota. I can't wait to see Ladero and Reynoso. Yeah, that, that rematch of that wild playoff finish um, from last year. I think that playing in Seattle will be fun, uh, especially because I think I'm pretty sure most of these, because uh, of California, you know what? I always go off California. California is allowing fans. So I'm assuming that Seattle will follow suit. So it'll be really exciting to see fans back in the stadium. Lumen Field, right? Not Century League. Yeah, Lumen Field um, now. Lumen Field, 930 Eastern on FS1. And I am pumped. For, for the season to get going. That is um, match of the day for sure, though, yeah. for that Friday. Oh, dude, I'm so pumped. I can't wait to see those midfield. Bat- I mean, Ladero and Reynoso, it doesn't get yep. any better than that. So that is my match that I'm very excited to see, see how uh, Brian Schmetzer does against Adrian Heath. Um, it just seems like a great clash, and I can't wait for it, especially if it's anything like that playoff game. My pick here have to go with hashtag dupe. We got Columbus <laughs> Crew versus the Union. Like I said, MLS Cup winners versus the Supporter Shield winners, 5.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1 on Sunday, Palmer. April 18th. Uh, just, uh, no, not even, uh, <laughs> not even no, for that. Not. I, I not. think it is, uh, you know, pretty big matchup. Uh, and, uh, shoo, uh, Columbus Crew is going to run us over. I just know it already. Um, They're good. Especially with the players they've added, Molino, Bradley Wright, better. Phillips. When, when we when we preview that team, man, yeah, that's terrifying. Um, Beast of the yeah. East. So let's go ahead and then preview. Uh, I, I think we agreed on this one, right? Yeah, Our we joint got this one, one here: Absolutely. LAFC versus Austin FC at five thirty on Saturday, April seventeenth, on Fox. Uh, that pick is because of you know LAFC just being a big team, but also a new expansion team. And that's always one of the ones I want to watch. You know, it was like Atlanta, Nashville last year. I watched that one. Um, Yeah. When you have LAFC, you know, one of the premier league uh, premier teams in the West and you have against Austin wanting to see what this club is made of. It's going to take them a little bit to find their feet, I think, but what a test, right? And and I think one thing that's really cool, like Aaron and, and Austin TV and all the guys out there, twin Oaks and all of them, it's really cool because I think they've got quite a big supporter group that is Mexican mm-hmm. and seeing Carlos Vela play um, against their yeah. team. 
uh, will be really exciting. And honestly, to, I mean, when you look at Austin's roster, which it's been a long time, um, they're not, I mean, they put together a pretty decent team for, for an expansion team. I think that they've got some nice pieces. Obviously yeah. it's going to be a huge test. It's like here, get your uh, feet wet with probably the best team in the West. So you know, I think it's it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to watch Diego Rossi play. Um, again, Carlos Vela healthy. The team's just so exciting, and, and Bob Bradley. But um, again, yeah, Austin's got a huge test uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. And just some other ones I just wanted to highlight without really talking about them too much, just mm-hmm. some of these big rivalry matches, Orlando-Atlanta and Whitecaps-Portland Timbers, just – uh, we, we got some really good matchups in week one mm-hmm. that I'm really looking forward to. Not so um, much in week two. <laughs> yeah, week two was a little harder, wasn't it? Um, it was. We had <laughs> trying to, to find a marquee matchup. Yeah. Um, my pick on this one was uh, – did I land on one? I, I, th- I don't I think, think yours – go ahead with yours. I, okay. I know which one yours is. Yeah, so mine's Friday. Uh, I'm going to go Sporting KC versus Orlando. That'll be – um, at Children Mercy Park uh, over there in KC. Our boys over at Another Pod uh, squaring off against Orlando City. Uh, it sounds like Pato is coming in in the next week or so. So, oh, nice. you know, maybe he's going to get some time there. Maybe he gets a start. That'll be pretty cool. Um, but again, I think Sporting KC, you know, when we previewed them, um, definitely a team that I think is one of those competitive teams in the West that just makes it like a, a, a traffic jam over there. Not quite El Trafico, but a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I think it's plus again, add fans back into it and God knows what the uh, States are going to decide whether they're going to let hundred percent of fans in or mm. whatever these other crazy States are doing. But um, I'm just excited to see fans back in the stadium and that's one of the best fan bases. So that's pretty exciting stuff. I'm going to go out of the box here for mine. I'm going to go New York City FC versus FC Cincinnati. Oh, man. we oh, I bashed that one, too. I'm so sorry. And here's why. We just got the narrative today, right, of mm-hmm. New York City FC's manager saying that the oh, team is not deep enough. Right? Yeah. They're owned by the Yankees and Manchester City. You know, mm-hmm. they, they should be able to put some money into that team. And they're going to be p- playing on a baseball field, right? Right. But – FC Cincinnati, a team that nobody would really think of, starting to put money into the mm. squad, getting Brenner De Silva, getting uh, Luciano Acosta, being linked to Pitti Martinez before. Uh, for me, it's almost like a reverse situation. I would expect oh, yeah. that type of thing from NYCFC and expect the other from Cincinnati. So I, I think that'll be an interesting matchup. The issue with Cincinnati going to be – in this is that they're going to be playing on a small baseball field. That's going to be a little tougher to navigate mm-hmm. that, you know, New York city is very good at, you know, getting used to that, but New York city lost Alex ring. He yeah. went to, uh, you know, he went to um, Austin. Austin. Yeah. Claudio Reyna was one of the people that built that NYCFC team. And now he's at Austin FC. So I think this might be a down year for NYCFC that I'm interested to see. Can Cincinnati, you know, kind of come out of the gate hot. They have Nashville week one. Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, Nashville played very well last year, but that's a winnable game for FC Mm -hmm. Cincinnati with some of their pieces if they come out hot. Um, And if they don't, then their next best points, I think, might be this NYCFC match, unfortunately, for uh, NYCFC. It's just, uh, I'm really down on them right now. They were billed as coming in as like how LAFC has, and and they just never lived up to that. You know, they did have David Villa there for a bit. 
Um, and, uh, you know, once he left and, you know, now they're starting to go through the manager carousel a bit. I'm getting a little worried about NYCFC and, uh, you know, they don't even have a stadium like the Red Bulls do that, I, you know, when you have two big teams and we were kind of talking about this off air, but when you have two big uh, teams as the owner and, and you're like, well, you know, they're trying to get Holland and Messi for, uh, for Manchester city. And I'm like, well, you can literally spend probably yeah. an eighth <laughs> of how much Holland is going to cost and Messi is going to cost. And you would still be one of the highest spenders in this league. So I don't see that as an excuse. And uh, at this point, I feel like they just want it to reap the rewards from other expansion mm-hmm. teams and the other expansion fees coming in and just hoping that this American market would, I mean, even their Jersey is just Manchester city knockoff. Right. So it's like the Walmart version for me. It's like, they're just trying to bank on, Hey, if you're a Manchester city fan, you should be our fan here. And uh-huh. obviously it didn't work because you're not right. So it, for me, you're in New York. Alexi Lalas just said this too. You're in New York. Start acting like it. Mm-hmm. Right. For both teams, Red Bulls and NYCFC, right. by the way, but you know, Red Bulls brought in Terry on Ray and Tim Cahill at one point and now have like nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And fighting about Kaku going to Saudi Arabia right now. <laughs> right. So, you know, th- that's why this one is my pick. I think it's interesting too the dynamic of the fact that they probably have the worst stadium against one of the more beautiful stadiums oh, that's being built. That Cincinnati stadium is beautiful, it's gorgeous. The backdrop, the setting, just everything around it. Um, Cincinnati has a pretty good following uh, in their sports teams. Um, I know the yeah. University of Cincinnati has. A good following. I know the Reds when they're all playing those poor well. Bengal fans, yeah. All those poor Bengal fans. At least that. <laughs> hey, I'll give them credit. They show up. They do. Um, and actually, my brother-in-law lives in Cincinnati, so maybe we can uh, make a visit up there. Oh yeah. So that'd be pretty sweet. But again, I, in May 16th, they're open that bad boy up. New York City FC's got to be looking at them, going, "You suck." <laughs> so let's go ahead also and look at um, our third one. I think we agreed on this one. Yeah, we got this one. Yep. Uh, LA Galaxy and Red Bulls. Yep. So we're picking both New York teams here. LA Galaxy, we kind of just covered them mm-hmm. with LA as our house. Uh, thanks to them for coming on. So we just kind of covered them and the fact that, you know, they're, they're kind of this giant that's kind of fallen on hard times, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of remind me of like Manchester United after Fergie left. But so they're going to be trying to turn that around. We got the storyline with Greg Vanny. How is he going to do? Red Bulls. Again, they like I just mentioned, they just you know, they used to have players like Terry on Ray and Tim Cahill, and they, even after that, they had been winning supporter shields and stuff with some of their other squads, kind of fallen again on a little bit of hard times, and uh, still no MLS Cup, you know, in mm-hmm. their 25 years, uh, 26 season going in now of of their existence against the team that has the most MLS Cups but was on hard times. I feel like that's a good narrative. It's like two old school teams that if this was 2011 would have been a hot matchup, but mm-hmm. now it's just kind of like a sign of what used to be. Yeah. I think it, it um, I, I think you'll see, obviously the first games are just kind of, you know, you got all that pint up energy. Um, you've got the anxiety of it being the first week. Um, I think with this game, and hopefully they have fans because um, I think it would be a lot of fun to see some of the Galaxy guys back 
Um, I, I think it'd be fun just to see uh, kind of how maybe Vanny's changed. I mean, you could probably tell by then, like it, it was pretty easy to tell when Tuchel came in that first game that there was a little bit of a methodology and, and Vanny's got the whole preseason to work with this team. So I think that second week at home, you're going to be looking at a team that I think you're going to see some changes maybe. Um, obviously, they're not going to be drastic, but I think you're going to see some slight changes to the way that they play. And, I, and I'm excited to see what that is because I'm excited to see what he does with that team because like you and I talked about, if it, if if it's anybody, it's going to be him, I think. Um, and I know the guys gave us a hard time some about it because they're, they're much more of a wait and see. But again, teams that fall in hard times, they want to feel that wait and see. But I think that if you look at his track record, if you look at his success with Toronto, you're looking at a guy that I think will change the way they think, the way that they play. And he's much more suited for this modern style of MLS um, than past coaches. So I think that that's something that uh, a storyline that will be easy to watch. Man, it just feels so real now with this, Isn't it weird? Uh, with, with the these first fixtures yeah. kind of released that we know at least the first two weeks of games here and a little, you know, and some other games uh, that are the other home openers. And uh, I, I forget, what did Stephen Goff say? This is going to be a few weeks later. We get the rest of it, but. Yeah, I think it's going to be two weeks. This is how they so. usually do it. I, I kind of forgot to mention that to you, but they usually yeah. open it up with just a release of here's the home openers. And guess what? The union rarely ever open from home. Mm-hmm. As you can see, uh, that just continues this year. Uh, and it continued last year. We we were going to open up at home in the third week, and it was canceled due to the mm-hmm. uh, COVID. So uh, I'm excited. You know, fans are going to be probably coming back. The, the vaccine rollout seems to be doing well. Uh, so it's going to feel like a real year, and it's going to yeah, feel great. Is. And you're a season ticket holder, so I'm sure you're pumped. But Logan, as somebody that is gearing up for his first full season of watching mm-hmm. MLS. Mm-hmm. How does it feel now seeing like your first two fixtures are Atlanta and SKC? And how do you feel about just, you know, I'm sure this was almost like Christmas uh, opening up the schedule here. Yeah, it, it did. When you, so you've uh, retweeted it. Um, Cause I was in a meeting that uh, was towards the end of the day today. Um, and I got the retweet and I'm looking at it and honestly it does. It feels like Christmas morning. I open that up those nice, real, clean cut schedule fixtures the graphic is it was really beautiful and then those games man it just made it feel so real and after doing so much research I do so much research because I don't want to sound like it's my first rodeo um it's just learning this league you know I watch soccer enough to know what's going on it's just learning this league and learning its teams And, and I texted you this yesterday it almost feels like I'm talking about something that's fiction you know what I mean? Like, so I, I'm reading a fictional book with all these team previews that I'm writing up and, and these notes, uh, just because I want to be knowledgeable with some of our guests on. And, you know, it, it seems so fictional, but today when you did that, when you retweeted the fixtures, cause they were supposed to supposedly drop at what noon, but one. one, yeah, one. And it, it doesn't closer happen. to three o'clock. Right. Yeah. And, and so Stephen Goff goes in MLS fashion. Um, it won't be released until three. Uh, and again, it's kind of like that CBA thing. It was that whole just sitting around waiting and you're going, who are we going to play? I'm a season ticket holder. I get to see a team come here that I've previewed that I've had somebody cover that covers it, talk to us about. And it just got me like, I was so giddy. I was like smiling from ear to ear. Um, when I did see that the tweet was out, 
because it felt real and it finally feels real that we're going to have uh, a normal-ish year in sports because this is the first sport that I think we'll see because baseball mm, is yeah, right baseball, around that same time. Um, but again, I think that, you know, this one I'm much more excited for because of just covering this league for the first time and really getting into this league and all the work that I've put in kind of previewing this stuff with you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. So I think that everything, all of that combined and just the fact that Orlando should be a pretty good team in the East um, and one of the top teams in the league, um, depending on how far you go down. Um, I think it'll be a lot of interesting times and I'm excited to do this with you and I'm excited that the fixtures came out. Yeah, they have a rough start for the first they two do. weeks. That's rough. Uh, but honestly, <laughs> yeah, it won't matter, right? I right. you can have a rough start all the way to like June in this yeah. league and, and turn it around. So uh, I do preach patience to anybody that's newly following any teams uh, listening here. Um, it's just a whole different animal compared to the rest of the sports. Uh, you know, the rest of soccer uh, outside mm-hmm. of America. Um, but yeah, man, it, I'm actually happy that they waited this long to release it because yeah. we're about a month out. And if I had known these fixtures yeah. beforehand, I feel like it would feel even further away. Right. Because it feels far away, but I'm like, oh no, that's only a month away. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's only five weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're about five weeks out. So right. that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Was there anything else we needed to cover? Yeah, uh, I did want to mention that uh, Stephen Goff actually just tweeted out yes. that, uh, and I sent you it, that U.S. Soccer will announce final 20-player roster for the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Championship Thursday at 2 Eastern, so tomorrow. There's, um, there's been Eastern. some leaks of that, too, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so we'll see if those were right. right. But uh, by the time you're listening to that, the, uh, listening to this, that will have already been released. Right. So we'll probably cover that on one of our next ones so look for it people <laughs> yeah it's out there if you haven't seen it um and we're excited about it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh for people that don't know uh, <laughs> on Concacaf's website they posted all of the jersey numbers next to yep. players and it seems to be those are the 23 mm-hmm. uh, which would make sense like brendan aronson didn't make the cut because his team probably didn't um release him i'm assuming yeah. so uh, all in all, it's not going to have a lot of our bigger name players. And right. even if you looked at players that could have been called in, like just on age itself would be like McKenney and Pulisic and yeah. stuff that would never have been released no. in either. But uh, like, really, if we were able to use everybody that was under 23, we would sh- should have no problem. Now I'm actually getting worried that we might not qualify. Well, I, the, the, other thing, the other thing I was going to bring up too, is that it'll be a lot of these younger MLS guys. Um, yeah, I think so. You're, you're, or at least some of the guys that are over here in some of these leagues. Uh, maybe if there's some in South America too, I think you're going to see a lot of them. Um, this is a really weird time, but again, when we preview these teams, I'm listening back to all these podcasts and stuff, and I'm reading some of these writing. Like again, uh, what Jackson mentioned, uh, the fact that um, uh, Rui Diaz or, or Rui Re- what help me, um, Rui Diaz. Yeah. yeah, Rui Diaz is going to be. Uh, with Peru um, with all these international games colliding everywhere international duty qualifying so I mean you're going to see some teams that depth is going to be key this year so it'll be interesting to see what how that all works out and we're done the west Uh, we can say it we're done the western conference Uh, we're moving on to the east this week so uh, I'm excited for that Um, 
you know, the Western conference is fun because I don't have a horse in the race. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be a little different covering the East, but uh, looking forward to it and ready to get closer to this, especially as we get even closer to the start of the season, not the MLS season, but we have uh, some CONCACAF Champions League stuff that's going on here. And later this month is going to be the Canadian Championship Final, which is, you know, uh, the Forge FC versus Toronto to see which one makes it into CCL. It should be Toronto. But uh, who knows with the way that the, you know, preseason and them not being in Toronto and then having to fly to Canada and then come back here, like it, it because the Canadian Championship, I think, is still taking place in Canada. So it's, it's just a mess, right? It's, it's going to be a mess. And, uh, <laughs> I'm excited to start talking about those games too. You know, uh, CCL is, is fun. Uh, just, just really great to watch. So we're in for a wild ride. So, so buckle up, Logan, we got a crazy few weeks here as we finish out the East talk some CCL (laughs) and do our preview show for the 2021 MLS season. So uh, we got some busy times ahead. Looking forward to it. And you can follow us on or reach out to us at Stateside Show on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show or email us statesideshow at gmail.com. We're hoping at some point soon to, you know, start having some more video content. It's probably going to be after all the previews. I just feel like we have guests on, you know, having to ask if they're comfortable with the video and stuff. We can work that stuff out later. Uh, so I do think we'll probably start releasing more of that video content as we get into the main season. Um, maybe, maybe we can do our preview episode as I'm our first one. Yeah. yeah I Let's think that could it. be fun. Yeah. Um, people could see our reactions as we're picking what right. teams are going to win the <laughs> league and stuff. <laughs> yeah. As I put LA, who did I put down? LA galaxy um, completely yeah. torched them. <laughs> Uh, well, that's it. So thanks everybody for listening and, uh, we will be previewing, uh, an Eastern team in the next episode. Uh, and we'll leave that as a surprise for you. So have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you next time. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to stoppage time soccer show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop It's Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.